Welcome to Sip Sip Hooray. I'm Mary Babbitt. I'm Mary Orlin, and we're so excited you joined us today because I'm super psyched that we're going to one of my favorite wineries in Napa Valley. That's right. We're headed to St. Helena to Crocker and Star, where we are going to spend some time with Pam Star, truly a star in the wine world. This woman knows her science. She knows her soil, her vineyards, her wines, and she knows a thing or two about goats. And that's all we're going to say right now, because you've got to listen and find out what we're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) But um, the the winery is very close to downtown St. Helena. It's on the valley floor, so it's kind of in between Highway 29 and the Silverado Trail. And it's such a great place just to go visit. I always like telling people to go there because it's a very rustic rural experience, and um, Pam also makes a fantastic Sauvignon Blanc and Cabernet Franc, and they're kind of known as Blanc and Franc. So it's always kind of fun. And um, so we'll um, get right into it. They just built a new winery building, and Pam's going to show us around. Yeah, so stay tuned for a little tour from Pam. Pam, Sipsi Parade. Sipsi Parade, thank you. I'm so glad to be with you too. And Mary and Mary, it's always great to see you. And thanks for coming and visiting this shiny little penny that we built. It's really cool. Thank you. It's, uh, I call it uh, uh, tradition and history meets industrial chic. Okay. So as you look around this room, it may look like just a simple tank room, but each one of these tanks converts into its own completely enclosed um, fermentation and pump-over system, uh, which, in fact, during 2017, when this valley was on fuego, was super important because all the tanks were locked and loaded, locked down, and we could actually perform fermentation and Mm -hmm. pump-overs without any risk of outside air. Yeah, so, you know, simple sometimes is, is the way to make production happen. Um, I've always wanted to have my own space. I, I stood in line at, at a custom crush facility uh, for a really long time, and uh, while standing in line, I think I dreamt this building because it turned out pretty much exactly how uh, I see it. Two uh, very individual barrel rooms and a center tank room. I can convert the tank room to a hospitality area up in the mezzanine, and we've had really fun grand parties in the center of the tank room at night with big candles, and the candles reflect off the stainless, so it kind of becomes a magical, pretty uh, event space as well. And then each barrel room is perfect for having two separate vintages, one in its second year and the other in its first year where I can do different temperature controls. So it's, it's fun. So the only timber in this building is uh, on the facade where it's holding up the 30 tons of rock to make it that rock that came from the same rock pile that built the 1870s winery that's down the street. So bringing history and tradition again, and then you walk in and it's like, ooh, industrial chic. So super low impact environmentally. When trying to make it green, you make more work for yourself, but the rewards are huge. And I mean, for not just you personally and your beliefs, but also just for the rest of us in the environment. So thanks for going the extra mile, because I'm sure it would have been cheaper and easier to not be so green. Yeah, typically, that is the case. Yeah. It, it, it does cost more to be organic, environmentally friendly, but all, all I've learned over the past 35 years of winemaking is that it only takes two years to really get your foot anchored into organic farming. It really doesn't take more than that. So if you can commit for two years, 
typically your operations will follow and the financials will start to ease and flow through. Uh, yeah. And that's the goat. Let me litter it. Yes, yeah. please so let, yes, we have a goat. So you, you have, have a goat. Kind of nursing a baby goat. <laughs> well, we don't just make wine around here. We're outside a lot and it uh, requires our winery dog, this Griffin. Oh, that's what what? And her name is what what? Her name is what what? How did you come up with what what? Um, I didn't. How how was taken or why uh, why? Yeah, exactly. Uh, we, my husband and I hired a goat herder. They're Napa goats uh, to come and eat all the poison oak and blackberry off of our personal property down in Browns Valley, which is in southwest Napa. And our dog, Griffin, here, who is laying at your feet, who's this beautiful, handsome, hairy beast, he doesn't <laughs> eat blackberries and poison oak, so we got the goats to do it. Uh, and one day, the goat herder showed up, and this little, cute baby goat popped out of his truck, and I was just like, oh! what's that? It's pretty much everybody's response to the goat. Is that a goat? Uh, so the goat herder is a paraplegic, basically. Um, he's an amazing person. And uh, come here, what, what? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> oh, yeah. You, she's really got some vocal cords. Yes, yeah, she does. She has vocal cords. Well, she's um, all, she'll be nine weeks old at the end of this week. And we got her when she was a couple of days old. Her mom had died. And um, the goat herder was having a heck of a time feeding her because she wouldn't eat. Uh, and so my husband and I bottle fed her, plus my team here doesn't hurt to have an all-female team bottle feeding a baby goat all day long. Oh, yes. Um, and she's adorable. She's so brown and white yep. speckled. And she has graduated. She's mostly grazing at this point. She gets a little bit of bottle still. Um, but we had a couple of times where we almost lost her. Uh, and it's amazing. Uh, once you have a goat in your life, how many neighbors and friends and family want to either have a goat or have a goat or have had a goat experience? Oh, yes. Right. And it opens the world of goats it, to you. It is, it is a, it's the goat's life. It's <laughs> the goat's life. Yeah. <laughs> what, what, come here. Well, you can call yourself the goat winemaker because my sons are always saying they're a goat, you know, the greatest of all time. Oh, great. It's a goat. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yes. All right. I think I might have to get a shirt that says goat winemaker. <laughs> All right. So can you back up and tell us your story, how you got into making wine? Uh I can. Let me think. Scratch the cobwebs out of my head a little bit. It was a journey sort of similar to Evan. I was not intended to go to the wine business. I come from a very old-fashioned, conventional Canadian parents set of parents. Um, we, all my sisters and I, were born in Oregon. Uh, we went to Southern California via Missouri. Uh, Missouri, I guess, is what I'm supposed to say. Uh, I was going to go to, I went to UC Davis. Um, I was hoping to go to dental school. Okay. And it, I call it the summer of 1984, where uh, I took an internship in a winery because I had studied fermentation science, which was a relatively new degree at the time. But you were going to go into dentistry. I was hoping to. I was studying to take the dental admissions test. But just a little fermentation on the side or? No, fermentation, look, UC Davis at the time, they produced scientists. There okay. was, they did not make winemakers. They were very uh, strong in their messaging that anybody who came out of the Enology Viticulture Fermentation Science Department, which included food science and uh, brewing, uh, they, we were scientists first and foremost. Okay. okay. And uh, so I, as I was studying to take the dental admissions test, I took a job. Um, in the wine business, 
uh, a, a winery that was in construction called mm -hmm. Sonoma Coutrere oh, yes. with Bill Benetti. Mm -hmm. And I was their intern uh, for this summer. And I was also interviewing for a job at Genentech to work in the lab. Okay. And uh, ab about halfway through my internship, I was driving a forklift for the first time, and I was pulling hoses, and I was stirring barrels and filling barrels and helping to bottle wine. And I was doing a little bit of the acid-based chemistry that's required for winemaking. And I kind of realized at that moment that I didn't want to have a lab job. Yeah. So I turned the Genentech job down. And, uh, and then about eight months, uh, my internship finished after eight months. And I realized I was never going to take the dental admissions test because the world of wine was more complicated than I had ever imagined. And it really didn't have anything to do with making the wine. It had everything to do with the life around it. So, In terms of, so expand on that. What do you mean by the life around it? Well, the life spins around the bottle. Mm -hmm. Very much how life spins around a calendar or we spin around the calendar. Huh. And... And so it was interesting to me that this winery was trying to figure out whether they should have a croquet court or a lawn tennis court. And I thought, okay, someone's going to have to tell me what that has to do with <laughs> making wine. Uh, and it has everything to do with taking the wine to the consumer. Yeah. It has everything to do with the message in the bottle. But sometimes, and, and it's really funny how life has changed in 35 years um, we still, as humans, require an experiential sometimes to put our wrap our heads around luxury, mm -hmm. and 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 to wrap our heads around luxury on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. Like you're okay. I I give Mary and Mary permission to open great bottles of wine every day. There you go. <laughs> All right. So there you go. Wow, we deserve it, Mary. There you go. So Thanks, sometimes the general population wants to be enabled to do that. Yeah. And so it requires a lifestyle around that bottle. So spinning around that bottle, looking at the, how beautiful is the punt? What's the shape of the bottle? What, what, how does the neck finish? Everything about that bottle, when it goes into the consumer's hand, it may be subliminal, but it's tactile. It is, and it speaks to the care that you've put into the contents of the bottle, oh, right? Like if absolutely. you're focusing on making the exterior beautiful, chances are you're also focusing on making the interior beautiful. right? Right, you care that much, right? right. You guys, should, you guys could do a show just based on uh, what's behind the label. Oh yeah, yes. there's the title for your show, by the way. You, <laughs> can, you could do like. <laughs> we used to have a segment on our TV show called "Behind the Label." Yeah, and those were the winery profiles. Yeah, where we oh, meet the winemaker cool. and vintners and yeah. stuff, and who are the people behind the label. Yeah. Well, this is the uh, this would be the artist behind the label. So, how does the design label designer interact or interface with the winemaker? Mm -hmm. To, to put the message on the bottle. Mm -hmm. So many interesting yeah. things there. And what's your message? So in our conversations about creating the Crockland Star label, I wanted to be able to tie tradition of the old world into the fresh newness look of the new world and express the flavors of the wine on, on the label at the same time. Mm -hmm. and, and you'll see that. So mm -hmm. my Sauvignon Blanc label is a... It's a yellow green or green yellow depends on which side of chartreuse you're looking okay it's not chartreuse mm -hmm. but it is it is literally the it emulates the color of the fruit that you might bite mm -hmm. into mm -hmm. that emulates the flavors in your mouth sure. and then the other wine that i'm quite well known for is the cabernet franc mm -hmm. which 
I guess I'm the Franck and Blanc queen that's around right. here. Yeah, that's right. I'm the Franck and Blanc queen. Oh, I love that, queen. too. Yeah, uh, strong following. Franky Spice. Franky uh, Spice. You guys, are too, are, you guys remember that? Oh, yeah, yes, of course. Yeah, yeah, of course you do, yeah. <laughs> the Spice Girls. Uh, yeah. Yeah. my lover. <laughs> Gotta get with my friends. There you go. <laughs> that's so funny. Um, we shouldn't go down that path, though. No. No. <laughs> Uh, but the cap rock. You poured the wine for me. <laughs> <laughs> I did. My fault. Uh, and the cap franc label really captures the colors of the wine um, and the flavors. So uh, the color of the label captures the flavors in it. So there's blue and brown and purple uh, at, on the facade. And I think if you're tasting the wine and you look at the bottle without saying it to anybody, you'll have a color relationship with the flavors in your mouth. Mm-hmm. Not many people have think about what color they're tasting, right? but it's just an opportunity for those who maybe have never thought of it to think of mm-hmm. it. Well, if they it. look at your soft blanc label, those colors would suggest maybe lemon and lime. It would. It might suggest a little bit of guava, mm-hmm. uh, the flesh of a uh, just underripe mango, mm-hmm. uh, right? So there are mm-hmm. so many exotic fruit mm-hmm. pieces there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there are other colors on the label yeah. as well, but that's just the main yeah. one. So that's those yeah, are, that's cool. the, yeah, there you go. It's a different mm-hmm. way to think about wine. Yeah. Right. In color. And I, know, I think some people do taste color when they eat or drink. I agree. I know I do. Mm-hmm. I can... Characterize it as blue, brown, right. black, mm-hmm. yellow, mm-hmm. green, mm-hmm. red. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in fact, maybe that comes from my training. I was a spice technician for a f- flavor spice company. I was a flavor technician. Uh-huh. Another spice thing, Franky Spice. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, while I was my last year in college, I needed to raise money. My parents were in this really fantastic divorce. And I learned how to describe pretty precisely with oleo resins and dried spices and dried and ground up uh, pieces of herbs. It was a great experience oh, sure. for me. I was I able to really precisely go in and mm-hmm. decipher, you know, paprika and cayenne and all these kinds yeah. of characters. What so great training for, for winemaking too, yeah. right? Yeah. And this was before I... I was still destined for, right. I was still destined to take the dental admissions test. At the <laughs> yeah. I'm so glad you didn't. Yeah, so I'm, how I am did you too. Your, your business partner end up starting a winery together. Well, good story. Um, Charlie and I met over a phone call, really. Uh, he had a guy, very entrepreneurial guy, hey guy, uh, <laughs> working for him here in the vineyard. And um, he was friends with the vineyard manager at Spotswood and would come over and say, would you just look at these vines? And I, so finally, he asked me so many times, I gave in, and I pulled out an old soils map, an old soil survey from the, I think it's from the 40s, and I followed the map, and I, and I looked at the soil banding from the nook that's made um, from Mayakamas Mountain Range in Spring Mountain, and I followed the soils from that nook over across town, and then the banding goes right through this property. Mm-hmm. So uh, I came over and looked at some of the Cabernet Franc vines on the Crocker Estate. And at the time, mm-hmm. late 90s, mm-hmm. everybody was fascinated with with um, mountain slopes, okay. elevations, yeah. right? You were in the mountains or you were nothing. Mm-hmm. And I didn't look at it that way. I looked at this property and I 
looked at it from a bird's perspective mm -hmm. and saw how the soils ran through the property and yeah. the diversity the alone yeah. was extremely interesting. Oh, All right, okay. so you, you come over with the map and yeah. you see this property and then how I, does it happen that you become a, you know... Well, so I got a call from Charlie a couple weeks later and he said, I understand you want to buy some grapes. And I said, no, but I understand that you might want to start a wine. And he said, no, but you should come and see me. And I always like to... Um, fluff it up a little bit with, well, I put my best winemaking jeans on and I went down to the big city and I went up to the 25th floor of One Post Street and in San met, Francisco. In San Francisco. Yeah. And I met Charlie. I got out of the elevator and I thought, well, this is going to be about a three second conversation. Mm -hmm. And he came out and he's just a super charming person. Mm -hmm. And he uh, is, uh, he has a very creative mind and he's got an agricultural background. And so our conversation went on for three hours. Oh, wow. You thought three seconds to three hours? I know. <laughs> and it seemed like a blink. Mm, did it? It was a three-hour blink. And when he walked me to the door, we shook hands and Crocker and Star mm -hmm. was born. Just wow. on the handshake. Just on the handshake. That's so great. Yeah. 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 Good for yeah. you. Wow. So I... the old-fashioned way. Yeah. yeah. And, and this is a very old-fashioned formula of making a winery. You know, Charlie and I have very different financial backgrounds. Mm -hmm. And uh, and so to make this work, um, it's a 50-50 partnership where we both have to put in a little blood, sweat, and tears. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, the cash came from our sales of our first wine, 100 cases I produced. What was that? Cabernet Franc. Wow. And I had seven or eight consulting jobs. That's how I paid my mortgage. And about seven or eight years in, I paid myself my first check, and I stopped consulting, and mm -hmm. um, I started hiring people about year 10, and I have a, just oddly enough, I think I mentioned to you guys when you showed up that I have an all-female team right now. Which is so cool, and it, it wasn't intentional. It, no, best person for the job, so whoever mm -hmm. showed up and seemed to be the best person for the job, and it's, it's funny, you know, Charlie and I sit back, and I'm like, you know, sorry, Charlie, I, I didn't do this intentionally, and he's like, that's okay, I really like it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it says so much mm -hmm. about how the wine industry has changed in the last 20 years, yeah. and that there are great female candidates and that it doesn't necessarily matter whether they're male or female. Like you said, you picked the best people for the job yeah. and they happen to be women. Yeah, right? they did. They did. They really just happen to be women. Um, and, and we'll see what happens in the future because I've taken myself out of the puzzle and um, Evan and Diana are now responsible for bringing on any new people. So mm -hmm. it's completely out of yeah. my hands. Hooray. When you were getting started, I'm imagining there were a lot of women winemakers at the time. Were you in good company with women or were you among the few in the proud here in the Napa Valley? I think that it, you know, my genre of winemaker and, you know, I can name them, you know, you know, all the girls mm -hmm. that, that they're out there. It's, you know, Heidi, Mia, Francoise, um, uh, like, I guess I should just keep going, but I guess Rosemary, you know, I mean, I can't think of all the girls' names, but they're amazing. And we, so we were sort of fresh guard. And, uh, you know, I think, uh, it was, uh, Zelma Long who super impressed, uh, the, the wine business as a business leader. And she was one of the first females to actually hit over six figures and become president of winemaking at CME. So that, that really sort of exposed 
the fact that, and this happened, this in the 80s, this was happening in business across the United States. Mm -hmm. You know, Karen McNeil has a really good story about being silent for so many years, tasting with men, and then, you know, bursting out of her own bubble and mm -hmm. driving her own train. So I, I think women in general, we still were obligated to um, take the bull by the horns and create our own space. Mm -hmm. and, and, and I still have to say that I've, I've been mentoring a couple of women who I've said, well, why are you standing in the background? Why are you complaining that you're not up front tasting with the team? Did you ask? Did you tell them what, to, did you say what time's the tasting? Yeah. And I'm, I'm really proud of, of the couple that I've spoken with because mm -hmm. they've taken charge of their lives and they're actually rising in their, in the company that they were complaining about. That self-advocacy. You know, yes. I think it helps to have someone coach you and standing you on the shoulders, that. right? You know, it's, yes, you can. You should do it. Right. It, right. It's your. You know, you have every right to be there. Yeah. Right. I mean, our world is is male dominated. Mm -hmm. it, our politics are male dominated, and and women and men are so necessarily different. Mm -hmm. Uh, thank God that we're different. Oh, of course. Really, I, yeah. I mean, and and that's what makes us so compatible mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. uh, so I I never look at myself as a female winemaker. Right. Mm -hmm. um, I'm just a person who has a fire inside that was able to find a a channel to to blow that fire and and build something. Mm -hmm. And not everybody has the opportunity to build. Uh, a winery. Mm -hmm. um, I, I built this business, and then the, it took me 19 years to build the business, and then I built this building. Mm -hmm. So cool! Yeah. It, it's a good story. So it, 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 I mean, it wasn't I, an I, overnight deal. It was it, 19. <laughs> you know, if it I had a bunch is. of cash infusion in here, it would have been built in three years, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. that's just not the story here. Mm -hmm. uh, and sometimes I have a green jealous moment when I look at shiny pennies across the way with Juilliard and yeah. gorgeous caves, and I think, Pam. It, it's not about the building. Mm -hmm. it, it, I'm grateful that I have some of the best vines that produce some of the best grapes mm -hmm. in not just Napa, but I would say that Crocker and Star Wines could sit amongst those great wines of the world. Oh, I totally agree with you. Mm -hmm. well, yeah. I'm thoroughly enjoying the Sauvignon Blanc that you shared with us. <laughs> yes. Should we head over yes, to the, let's um, do it. Yeah. the other? Okay, okay, let's walk. Come on, let's, walk. let's go. Come on, Come on go. Let's Come on, go. Griff. Got the griff, got the goat. Come on, Okay, well, I'm short walk over here to what we call the stone house. Uh, this is our experiential room where after we touch the vines, we taste the wine. So the seated tasting at this beautiful walnut table that was made from trees that have fallen on the property. Uh, everything's repurposed. Isn't it pretty? Yeah, I was like, I immediately started like yeah, <laughs> rubbing my hands along and it's just lovely. So and yes, I, I hear it. Yeah, go ahead. She's oh, quiet. She just, she's, oh, she just wants you. Did you see her run by? Yes. 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 Okay. <laughs> so that's really funny. Do you need she, to go grab her? No, she's fine. I think my husband's right outside the door. So normal. will have to try to get her. She's like your um, little baby. She is a baby. a little bit of work, huh? Yeah. She's, she screams until she yeah. finds somebody and then uh -huh. she's like, oh yeah. Okay, cool. I'm fine. I'm going to graze now. So she'll be fine in a second. Um, so anyway, we're in the stone house. And uh, again, this is where we, we can usually seat up to six people in here. We're a one-on-one -on -one experiential where um, the, you won't typically see anybody else on the property. Uh, we're a pretty small staff. So typically like handling one group at a time, maybe four a day is about what we can do. Wow. Okay. So 
And this is, you're pouring what? I'm pouring the 2016 Malbec, which is blend number nine. It's the ninth Malbec we've done here on the property. I planted Malbec here. Um, oh gosh, it must be, these vines must be 15 years old, maybe. Let me think. What year is this? 2019? Yeah, <laughs> yeah my, I mean, they must be 12 or 15 years old now, but... And how did you decide to do Melbourne? Um, it's one of the Bordeaux varieties. It's a historic Bordeaux, Bordeaux variety. Laura Catena wrote this great book called Vino Argentino. Mm-hmm. And did you read it, Mary? Yes, I have it. Right? Yeah. It's such a great guide. If you're going to go to Mendoza, mm-hmm. get that book. Mm-hmm. Because I, we did almost everything in her book that okay. she suggests to okay. do. Uh, and uh, and so Mal, she has little factoids along the way. And one of them is uh, the fact that Malbec was um, pretty much 60% of all the plantings in Bordeaux. Before it was, uh, that, high. It was uh, that high, and it was before rootstocks came into yeah. being. So this is pre phylloxera mm-hmm. days, and then once rootstocks combined with the Malbec, the Bordelais kicked it out because it got to be too big, and it was, mm-hmm. it was no longer a player. So I just historically have always wanted to bring it in uh, to the property, so I planted it, and um, and then I too journeyed down to Mendoza, and what I discovered is that some of the best Melbecks have uh, are blended with the classic Bordeaux varieties. So this has uh, blend number nine has twenty percent Cabernet Sauvignon in it from. I believe I got it from Block 15, which is our our special S clone on um, uh, 101.14 rootstock mm-hmm. down wow. by the old estate. Isn't that pretty? It's it really nice, right? Yeah, pretty, very perfumey. It is. So one thing about Malbec is it looks like that crazy fluorescent color in yeah. the crayon box it in does. the back. You're like, okay, is that black, purple, yeah. red, or uh-huh. what? Mm-hmm. Uh, and and it looks like Malbec looks very fluorescent in its fermentation. Oh, does it? It does. And uh, and so then it gets more black and it gets more blues. And uh, and and as it starts to resolve itself in the fermentation, it, I feel like there's a character that, that becomes this very wild berry muddled with what I would call seared meat and sticks and stones. <coughs> Are you okay? Oh, yeah. Mary, I just made you laugh. You got me in seared meat. Sticks and stones. I was following everywhere. Yeah. The wild berry, yes. Seared meat and sticks and stones. <laughs> yeah, it is. It, it really, it's, it's a berry picking patch experiential all in one glass. It's yeah. really good. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that the hardest descriptors are for Malbec. I, I don't know that mm-hmm. it's, it's not, the Malbec is not pure enough to be, well, you know, like when I get Cabernet, I'm going to get black cherry mm-hmm. and I'm going to get blueberry yeah. for Cab Franc mm-hmm. and I'm going to get raspberry for... I think you get a mix in this glass. You, you do. You really do yeah, get a mix really in this mix glass. In and is yeah. it fun for you to introduce people to it who come, I think so many people in Napa Valley come and think Cabernet only or Chardonnay and or Sauvignon Blanc is, is more common, right? But I think people come and think cab and to introduce a Malbec to that might be kind of a fun experience if you if you don't know the wine world, right? It is very true that Napa Valley is founded on the king of all grape varieties. Mm-hmm. Cabernet Sauvignon has a full vertical of phenolic and flavor material. Mm-hmm. It has the full tilt boogie, mm-hmm. right? And while it's resolving itself in the bottle and becoming more and more seamless, 
we kind of need other things to drink. And there are so many parcels of, of uh, grape land, vine land in Napa that are really not perfect for Cabernet Sauvignon. In fact, I discovered that at, here at the Crocker Estate because I launched this company 22 and a half years ago with 100 cases of Cabernet Franc. Cabernet mm-hmm. Franc, yeah. And in the 90s, Cabernet Sauvignon was just blowing up mm-hmm. right? Uh, with the dot-com world and prices going crazy. Uh, here I was, like this little silent kind of cool project being launched mm-hmm. in the hands of sommeliers. Literally, that was my marketing program. Like, okay, sure. well, whoever wants mm-hmm. this. And then one psalm spoke to another psalm who spoke to another psalm. Yeah. And that's how Crocker and Star was yeah, launched. It's kind of the grassroots marketing. It is. In the and, world. Right. You and I get think. The songs on your side. Absolutely. You, and today it's a whole different um, genre of psalms and right. they're, they're they're reading materials instead of tasting wines. Mm-hmm. And so once they stop reading uh, marketing materials yeah. and these young buyers taste wines, I think mm-hmm. they're going to discover uh, that the reading materials aren't deep enough mm-hmm. for satisfying the soul. Yes. And uh, wines should be soul satisfying. Mm-hmm. Um, I agree. It's it's such a hedonic beverage. I mean, how could it not be, mm-hmm. right? It, it, and, it, and there's so much magic in wine, really. I mean, you spoke with Randall Graham, and he was our first uh, billboarded scientist of wine. And I remember him being on the cover in the 80s and yes. in a lab coat. And, uh, and if it was true that you could actually create wine on a lab surface, we wouldn't be growing grapes. Yes, <laughs> right? right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and They're trying, though. They are trying, and mm-hmm. it's interesting. There's, They're not going to be successful because the, the organic makeup of a grape uh, – Specifically, let's pick two, Cabernet Sauvignon and Cabernet Franc. Their skin development is the creation of the core of those wines, Mm -hmm. right? Right. So the skin of Cabernet Franc pops cardamom and blueberry in your mouth. And then the skin of Cabernet Sauvignon pops that black ink, charcoal, graphite quality that goes with the jelly of the inside black cherry. Mm -hmm. So... There, as much as we would love to be able to create a laptop, then it gets crazy because once we start doing fermentations, all these extractions happen and the dynamic, there's no way to recreate that that's, other than make a fermentation. To me, that's where the magic happens, really, what turns just grapefruit juice into something so complex and so many different flavors than just grape. Yeah. Right. It's such a farm fresh product, mm-hmm. product, mm-hmm. Right? right? So wine, we talk about farm to table. We're this is vine to glass, right. yeah. and and it ta- though it takes three years to bring Cabernet Sauvignon mm-hmm. to the glass. Mm-hmm. At least it only takes ten months to bring a Sauvignon Blanc mm-hmm. to the glass. Mm-hmm. So it's still we're the wine business is still agriculture classically preserved through an old-fashioned technique called fermentation do you still get excited about it you've been I doing do. it a while now yeah, yeah. i do i when i you know i have to say that i'm so appreciative that i've been able to put a team together that are, that are taking over the the daily aspects of running a winery and running the business and i'm spending more time talking with people like yourselves and um i think it's time for this gal to share 35 years of passionate grape growing and winemaking um it's not like we can make beer it's not like we can just start over mm-hmm. uh so w- making wine is definitely you have to pick a path and you have to stick with it mm-hmm. right because it'll take you a few years to know that path you chose right. works out or not right 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 
So it's it's nice to be able to have Evan, who I can hand the baton to, who understands what we're trying to achieve and accomplish. And so this 2018 Sauvignon Blanc is her second fermentation oh, with me. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well so we did. Done. Yeah, very well That's done. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. So two years she's been with us, and um, I'm really looking forward to. She's putting together 2017 blends right now, and we're really, uh, though we don't have very much of them. Uh, I'm excited because they're really juicy and and they're they're super delicious. Mm-hmm. So she's working really hard on those blends. We'll wait and see. So you've got to tell us about the label. All right, and the figure on the label. So uh, and this is on the Malbec. It is the Malbec. So the Malbec um, is called the Casali wine. Casali means uh, farmhouse in Italian. And we just translated it to a uh, party barn, basically. Uh, the 1870s brandy house down the street, yes, right next yes. to the old winery, uh-huh. uh, is where the brandy pots were burned. And, oh. and so when I met Charlie, he was just closing in the roof mm-hmm. and making a big party room, uh, which was named the Casali. And there is a painting on the ceiling, a six-foot-tall painting on the ceiling of this very debonair, sort of suave, jester-looking Italian mm-hmm. man where he's smoking this pipe and he's hiding grapes behind his back. Oh. And he's got the uh, magical, mythical dragonfly uh, uh, up uh, above him. Uh, and the dragonfly is fantastic because it's a totem for uh, positive change. And that was my husband bringing, bringing the goat back in. So, yeah, this is yeah, family time. We've got goat, the dog, my husband, and yeah, and now the Casali man. The gang's all here. Yeah, the gang's all here. Well, I love it that Casali man is it's really fun yeah, and musical. Right. So the membership, I'm very fortunate that they are con- very loyal and very thirsty. The so, Club. yes, it's called the Casali Club. <laughs> it is. And um, that's it, really, it is. It is a, bunch. Yes. It cheers to great friends and great wines. That's our motto. Oh, nice. And uh, though I, I'd love to be able to expand the Cabernet Franc that I produce, I can't. It's exactly a specific parcel mm-hmm. of grapes. Uh, and then the Stone Place Cabernet Sauvignon. It's also a fixed set of bottles that I can produce because it's tied to Block 3, 45-year-old Cabernet vines. Mm-hmm. So every time I've tried to expand one of the wines, I end up creating another wine. And okay. each wine is based very solely on the block that it comes from. Mm-hmm. So this Casali Malbec comes from Block 2, 9, and 15. And, uh, and so then I'm going to pour in your other glass that you have the one post 2015, or is this the six? Nope. We're going back. This is the 2013 little library. Team's been drinking library. I see. (laughs) (laughs) Don't mind if I do. Don't mind if I do. (laughs) And, uh, one post Cabernet Sauvignon is, (laughs) (laughs) that's so funny. Um, the one post is specifically from block one. It is it is a layering of uh, historic farmer selections mm-hmm. and an homage to how farmers used to trade wood freely. And uh, what is it, little girl? What do you wow. what do you need, little goat? That's really good. It's a mouthful. It That's is a mouthful. Really great. And it's from the 2013 vintage, which is a mouthful already. I mean, the the 2013 vintage across the board is is dense with tannins. Mm-hmm. It's almost like fudge or or wading through a you know a big thick mocha. Mm-hmm. And uh, though yes, and though this wine is still very young and evolving, mm-hmm. we like mm-hmm. to show people that even just in a couple years mm-hmm. time, mm-hmm. the wine's starting to open up. Right. It still has yeah. so much more time. It. it does, but it's just very expressive already. Um, 
I Very high tone. The fudge yeah. is exactly right. <laughs> it's beautiful. It's great. Mm-hmm. Love fudge. Don't even have to put it in the wine to get it. <laughs> it's magic. It's magic. So one post, uh, the design here, I wish we could show your listeners, but Jim Cross, our, our label designer, uh, came up with uh, one in the center with post written, written across horizontally to uh, emulate one of the pillars of the Golden Gate Bridge. I was going to say it kind of has a bridge look there. Yeah, really cool. And to bridge San Francisco, our meeting place, to St. Helena, our grape growing place. Really well done. Yeah, Jim's a really creative person. I'm really, I'm very honored Mm -hmm. that uh, he put together even the Casali label, putting the jester on top and putting a new number in every year was, Mm -hmm. uh, is not an easy task to accomplish. So, yeah. Yeah, good. Well, one of the things we like to do on Sip Sip Hooray is ask just a series of little, I would say rapid fire questions, but we're never that fast at them. So, and then we, we talk. You say something that you know makes us think of something and we get we distracted, right? And then like, oh, but we just like a series of little fun, light questions. So I'll start us off with like, um, how would you describe a perfect day for you? A perfect day after I retire or a perfect day when I... <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, I, I think a perfect winemaker day uh, would be during harvest. I, I dream about harvest days. I, I know what I'm doing every single day. So I, I, I believe that my perfect day is up before sun. Uh, the land is quiet. The lights are shining with night harvesting across the valley as I drive up, uh, up valley passing picking night picking getting to the winery everything's silent and then having one of the first team members show up and put on their music and that music will start our day and what type of music is it we leave it to our interns. Mm-hmm. It's it's their job. Mm-hmm. Uh, the intern, it, we actually interview interns based on what they like to listen to. And uh, we had, I've had very great luck in interns who have a very broad genre of music to, that they listen to. So if I walk into like deep jazz or classical music, or I walk into something like Blues Travelers, I know how that day is gonna gonna start. Kind of gives you a vibe. It gives you a vibe, right? <laughs> it gives you a vibe. And can you get that song out of your head all day? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, because the music continues on throughout on, the yeah. day. And I, I think the perfect day is the great flow of great everything just works perfectly. The equipment cooperates, the grapes are perfectly destemmed, fermentations are smelling beautifully, the team is all jiving, everybody's on par. Are, there's science going on, and, and nobody's longer than maybe a nine or a ten hour day. Oh, just a nine happen? or a ten. Those, those are small days. <laughs> wow. Right. How often does that happen? I think our uh, my perfect day. Many times during harvest. That's good. Many I times. You were going to say never. Many no, times. Great. Many that's times. Good. That's great. In my early days of making wine, when I was a solo player. Before I had a team, uh, not so many days because I was in a custom facility where I was taken very well care of, Mm -hmm. Uh, but still navigating 
other people's swamps. You know what I mean? Like, are there crocodiles in there? Are the snakes going to bite you? Uh, and uh, I think just trying to navigate across and find a bridge to where I was going to work for the day mm-hmm. would would be tough. Sure. And once, once I landed on that island, uh, everything would go well. Mm-hmm. But I think the days starting here with silence and in darkness with fabricated lights outside mm-hmm. and then having the team roll in and music play. Mm-hmm. I think that's pretty perfect. Mm-hmm. That sounds perfect. really good. So what kind of music are you into? I listen to a lot of different music. My husband's very much into country. We listen to new country all the time. <laughs> uh, and uh, and I am fan uh, of fans, but I played the violin when I was a little girl. And so if I choose music in the morning, it's going to be classical. And typically it's going to be something very Mozart driven, uh, Mozart, happy Mozart, mm-hmm. uh, playful Mozart. Yeah. And, uh, and then I will also go to, um, nonverbal music. Mm-hmm. So I, I really enjoy Thievery Corporation because there's a vibe in their, in their music ensembles and their riffs where Almost, it sounds like they're singing music words, but they're not. Uh, all the way through to, um, oh, I know, Stevie Ray Vaughan, uh, you know, a little get down, let's get dirty. And mm-hmm. uh, and then the team, ultimately, they'll put on Beyonce and uh, what's the other one? Oh, uh, Whitney Houston. And when they put Whitney Houston on, I'm like, all right, you guys, you just crossed the line. <laughs> you know, so <laughs> so typically we'll, we'll take a, a hard right turn or a hard left turn and um, put on some Fleetwood Mac. Okay. Yeah, really good. Uh, or, yeah, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Um, or we'll put on some Prince. I really, I think Prince oh, yeah. is, a, is a stimulating one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well. So, and you can't go wrong with Queen. Oh, no, oh yeah. never. Never. Yeah. And then there's always going to be a little Billy Idol in the mix. Oh, yes. Yep. Good. Right, a little white wedding. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. You are eclectic. You got a lot in there. Yeah. <laughs> All right, what about food? What's your go-to favorite kind of food? <sighs> food that I shouldn't eat is my go-to food. Like, I love French fries and Sauvignon Blanc. I think it's a classic combination. Oh, I haven't tried that mm-hmm. before. Mm-hmm. Salty. Yeah, and not too hot. You know, Emeril Lagasse introduced me to a potato chip um, I thought was really quite good. And, of course, the name escapes me right now. Um, I'll have to look it up and text you guys and let mm-hmm. you know what it is. Yeah. But I, I like that flavor. I think it pops the limeade and the margarita kind of quality of Sauvignon Blanc. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, if I... I love to cook, but right now I don't have a kitchen. Long involved story. My husband and I are trying to build a house. Mm. Anyway, uh, I have a grill outside to cook with, so um, I like to make fresh. I'm a I'm very much into putting grilled things on on salads mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and making squeezed lime or lemon on on top of food. So, so you mentioned the limeade margarita. So if a margarita drinker hasn't had salt blanc. That seems like a good way to get them to try it. You know, if you like a margarita, well, you might have Sauvignon Blanc because it's kind of like that too. It's it's true. I, you know, it's, I think Sauvignon Blanc across the board. Mm-hmm. So we'll have a little tangential here on mm-hmm. Sauvignon Blanc. It is it is a great variety that that. Gar- uh, it garners the least loyalty amongst mm-hmm. wine drinkers mm-hmm. because it is the least flavor profile consistent. So people say Chardonnay and immediately like they have this oak and viscosity and butter. Okay. You say Sauvignon Blanc and you could get 30 minds thinking 30 different right. flavor That's profiles. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I, I think one of the things that Crocker and Star has done is uh, we've taken two very difficult grape varieties and we have created a go-to flavor profile that people trust mm-hmm. and they love. Yes. 
right? Well, I know a lot of non-Sauvignon Blanc drinkers who've had yours and just love it. I, I have like, I, you know, when you go to a public tasting uh-huh. and you're pouring your wine and ultimately somebody, you know, gives you the Heisman, like, yeah, sh- no, ah! here, I, that, here, I'll give this to my friend. And so they'll politely take a little bit of the Sauvignon Blanc. 90, 90% of those people will come back to my table mm-hmm. and say, I don't like Sauvignon Blanc, but I really like your Sauvignon Blanc. Oh, that's great. And, and so it opens, look, all we have to do is open our mind and taste. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I have to say that it's always such a joy for me to watch somebody have a mind opening tasting experience. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So what TV series are you into now? <laughs> I do not watch those who are watching that show. Yeah. I will. I can't. I, I don't. Yeah. Do I, it's too. It's too mm-hmm. violent for yeah, me. I I, I. I mean, you know, I like to watch Julie Andrews and the Sound of Music over and over and <laughs> over again. Uh, and and maybe I'll sing along. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> um, I. Uh, I don't really. I. I have to say this is terrible. But I. I'm a huge fan of The Voice. Mm-hmm. I've been watching it since it started, and uh, I'm a huge fan of uh, Kelly Clarkson. I was going to say, which team? Yeah, yeah, (laughs) I'm a huge fan of Kelly Clarkson, and uh, I, I went to a live showing of the uh, yeah we i got some vip seats took uh, evan her wife and my husband and uh four of us went down there and oh, so fun. i i'm a huge fan i i like cool. how i love voice i love vocals and i like watching people try to achieve their dream and doing right. it live it's and so doing live. it live is yeah cool. so i'm not a huge my husband's watched he'll watch csi all day long but <laughs> yeah so we have to trade the remote yeah, control yeah. back and forth yeah. every once in a while i can't watch a scary stuff before yeah. <laughs> what about favorite vacation destination? Have you been to any places that just knocked your socks off, or do you have a place you go back to again and again? There are two places that I personally like to return to um, over and over and over again. I love Tahoe. It is one of the For wonders sure. of the world, and it's very close by. North right? Shore, uh, North Shore, yeah, absolutely North Shore, okay. and and on the Nevada side mm-hmm. where the big rocks yes. are, and so jumping into the water is quite uh, eye opening and refreshing, mm-hmm. and uh, swimming next to the rocks heats the water, and so shallow swimming there make is really wonderful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's one place you said there's two. Uh, I, I like the ocean a lot. So well, growing up near the beach, yeah, like, we both are from Southern California, right? And uh, yeah, you, I, competitive high schools. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you grow up with that, just that air. I think uh, I I love the ocean. Just mm-hmm. having grown up with the beach, mm-hmm. yeah. And wine next to the ocean is delicious. Do you have a favorite beach? Um, so I, I, my father was a sailor. That was that he did it as a pastime, mm-hmm. and he took us sailing. And my sister. Uh, who's down in San Diego. She has a wonderful sailboat and we used to spend summers over at Catalina Island. So I love, I love going and sailing back to Catalina and there's a really wonderful cove called the uh, Emerald Bay. My son is there right now. Right now? With a school trip. Oh my gosh. (laughs) It is really one of the most wonderful bays out there and they have, they have Garibaldi's everywhere. If I'm a snorkeling fan, swim fan, uh, and the water's a little bit cooler than mm-hmm. maybe if you went to Anguilla. And I'll go to all those places, too. But yeah. I, I could go back to Catalina any day. That is so funny. Yeah. He's at Emerald Bay. That's I, where he's staying. Wow, he's, he's going to have the best time. I hope he gets to go into the water and do some snorkeling and oh, kelp do. beds. Mm-hmm. And 
And then around the rock there, there's a big rock at the point. Such a great protected bay. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Catalina. Yeah, that's fun. Good for you. When you're not drinking wine, what are you drinking? Martinis. Nice. Gin. 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 And the gin has to be largely floral. Uh, Not necessarily high, high juniper, Mm -hmm. but uh, very largely floral. Okay. All right. Uh, This might be hard to come up with on the spot, but something you're most proud of or at least proud of? (laughs) Not most. (laughs) You know, I have to say I'm most proud that I, uh, I created this company. I did not grow up with a, I'm a scientist and a mathematician first. I mean, I grew up with science and math. I think in numbers, I make blends in numbers in my head. Uh, and it was a really big stretch for me to write the business plan and, um, and forge ahead and create this company. So it was one of the most personality and life stretching uh, projects I've ever done. Well, you have a lot to be proud of. Thank you. We are so Absolutely. grateful to Thank you. be able to spend the afternoon with you. We're so glad you, you decided Pam. not to go to dental school. Yeah. Me too. <laughs> Thanks, Mary. I know, right? Dental school. Thank you yeah. so much, Pam. Cheers. Thank you. Sip, sip, hooray.